The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. If you're visiting with us, just there's a, pew, a Bible in the pew back right in front of you. You'll open it up. The very first book in your Bible is is, uh, Genesis, and then the one right after that is Exodus, Exodus chapter number 20 today. We find ourselves in the middle of this uh, series on questions in the catechism. The question number eight for today is, what is the law of God contained in the Ten Commandments? What is the law of God contained in the Ten Commandments? And uh, for those of you that have gone on a little farther, if you're looking to join us, if you have a smartphone or a device at home, you can simply get a free app called the New City Catechism. And if you're not into that, you'd rather have a a paperback or something hardback to read, uh, right out on the welcome desk on your way out is a copy of the New City Catechism. I'd love for you to uh, pick one of those up to follow along with us. It's a great way to disciple yourself, disciple your uh, spouse or your family, and just walk through these questions together. I think you'll find it rather uh, simple but profound for our lives as we work through this together. And so question eight today is, uh, what is the law of God contained in the Ten Commandments? And so this is a bit of an overview lesson today. Uh, For the next several weeks, we'll take, uh, next week we'll handle uh, Commandment 1, 2, and 3, and then 4, 5, and 6, and so on and so forth as we work our way through God's law in the Ten Commandments. So today, verse 1, 2, and 3, let me read those, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer together. Then God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father, we love you and thank you for your kindness and mercy. And even now, just thinking about praying with the deacons before the start of the service, Lord, as we were wanting to pray with anticipation, we We want you to show up. We know that you're here and we plead and ask and even beg for the very presence and power of the Almighty God through your word, through your spirit, Lord. In fact, we think of the old song, Lord, unless the spirit of the Lord descends, we are meeting in vain. We need you. And Lord, certainly we can sense and know that we have been singing songs to your glory and honor and praise. We ask that you would be pleased, Lord, by our worship through music, through giving, through prayer, Lord, through our fellowship together, our Bible study hour before. And now as we open your word, I pray that there would just be a a sense in all of our hearts of focusing upon you and your son and your law. I pray that if there's somebody here today, member or visitor, that has never truly put their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, oh, please, God, make this the good, glad day in their life that they stop trusting themselves. They cast themselves under the mercy of Jesus, plead for Him to save them and become a new creation today. We plead for that. 
We pray for our membership that is here today. Lord, that you would change and transform our lives, that you would do the rough and the difficult and the hard work of transforming us, that putting off of our old self and putting on of the new self of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that have shown up here today. They've been working hard for you all week, and yet we find ourselves still stumbling, still failing, still coming short. We are in need of your mercy, your grace, your challenge. Help us. I pray for my brother and sister that may be here today who is far from you. They have experienced grace at a moment in their life. They have been converted from death to life, but they're not walking as close to you as they once were. We pray for the gracious conviction of the law of God upon our lives. We pray that the Spirit of God would move inside of us and help us and teach us to be more like Jesus. I pray for you to do your work in your people on this day through your word. And we will not stop. We will give you glory and honor and praise. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ we do pray these things. Amen. So let me just give a little bit of an overview today as we talk about this and some points to take home. So we want to say, you know, what is the question is, what is the law of God contained in the Ten Commandments? And so uh, you might might hear sometimes somebody say that the Ten Commandments is the law of God. Well, that's probably not the best way. In fact, you might even hear me refer to it as that, but that's simply a, a, a habit over time. But really, it is the instruction of God, and it's called the Decalogue, the Decalogue. And that's just two Greek words put together, deca meaning ten, and log coming from the word logos or logos, meaning ten words. And so when uh, Moses goes to the mountain and God gives him the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, he really gives him ten words to bring back to his people, not so much as that the Old Testament is simply law and the New Testament is grace, but that these are the instructions of God that reveal to us his character, his nature, and how God wants his people to respond and interact with him and interact with other people. So in an overview sense today, let me begin by giving you the structure that you'll find in uh, verse 3 following down to verse number 17. So the uh, law of God or the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments are broken into uh, really two sections. The first four commandments are commandments toward God. That is the way that we respond, the way that we interact toward the God of heaven. So the very first four commandments are the way that we behave toward the Lord. And then the last six commands of the law or of the Ten Commandments deal with the way that we treat each other, right? And that's just exactly what we studied last week. Jesus Christ is here on earth and one of the scribes comes to him, a lawyer that's proficient in the Old Testament, and he says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment out of all these 613 laws, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and the second is like to it love your neighbor as yourself and on these hang all of the law and the commandments or all of the law and the prophets and so what was Jesus saying he was simply giving you a twofold understanding of the ten commandments the first four commandments are your relationship with the God of heaven and we'll look at that in a minute and the last six commandments are your relationship with other people so you should love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And don't give those out of order. The first and the primary
primary and the chief commandment is that you love God with everything that you have from your head to your toe and everything in between. You say, how is that made possible? Well, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us first and gave his son to die for us. And so because God loved us, because God provided a sacrifice for us, he has given us a new heart that allows us to love him with all that we have. And as we're loving God vertically and we become right in our vertical relationship with the Lord, then we become right in the way that we deal with all of our brothers and sisters that are around us, the way that we treat our neighbor, the way that we even treat our enemy. So we love God we love our neighbor. The structure of the law then, these are 10 words that come down to us. They are broken into two sections, the first four toward God and the last six toward mankind. And we are to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So secondly, by way of uh, just introduction today, kind of talking about this, the question in your catechism, as I was reading it this week, sometimes my little ADD started coming out. So what is the law of God contained in the Ten Commandments? And I started reading, and I was reading, and I was reading. I was like, man, there's got to be a better way to get this out, right? So I want to help everybody. I want your, Did you come today to actually worship? Say amen. All right, so all of you are going to get a practice today. Here's a, little, here's a little lesson. I want you to follow along with me. Are you ready? What is the law of God contained in the Ten Commandments? Everybody put your finger up like this. We worship only one God. Commandment number one, we worship only one God, all right? Put two fingers up like this. Commandment number two, you shall have no idols before me. So make one idol bow down to the other, right? So this is God. We only have commandment number one, worship one God. Commandment number two, no idols. Everybody go like this, all right? Commandment number three, does everybody know this one? You shall not take the Lord, name of the Lord your God in vain or we'll look in weeks to come. It really means not to misuse the entire name and resource of God. So everybody put commandment three, right? Don't use the name of the Lord in vain. Right like this, right? Don't use the name of the Lord in vain. You'll remember that. One God, no idols. Don't use the name of the Lord in vain. Number four, does anybody know what number four is? Say it out loud. That's right. So I want you to put fingers up like this. Four. Put them together like this. You're going to church. All right. You're in church. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So all the brothers and sisters that did come to church today, when you see them this week, I want you to go like this. You didn't remember the Sabbath. <laughs> Don't do that. They'll never come back. All right. Commandment number one, there's only one God. Commandment number two, that not have any idols before me. Commandment number three, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. We're going to salute them. Mom and dad, that has for all of our youth, for all of our children, and for every age in here, you ought to always honor your father and mother. And uh, New Testament teaches that children are to obey their parents in the Lord, but the Bible always says that we are to honor. And so even once you've grown up and you're out of the house and you're paying your own bills and making your own way, you still have to look back to mom and dad with honor. Doesn't mean as an adult, I'm talking to the adults in here today, our children are in a children's church, but listen, even if your mom and dad are still alive here on earth, even if you're making decisions that maybe might be contrary or different than what they would do, you make those decisions while still honoring mom and dad. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Commandment number six, don't commit murder. 
I did this one time because Sandra Rousher was the children were in the room and I think she was going like this, but right? You'll never forget it. Don't commit murder. And listen, we'll get to it. I know in your Bible it says thou shalt not kill. The, the concept behind the word there is really murder, all right? And we'll talk about that as we go. So commandment number six, don't commit murder, all right? I'm not sure if that's the trigger or the barrel. All right, all right. Commandment number seven, put your hands up like this. Does anybody remember what commandment number seven is? Say it out loud. Don't commit adultery. So there are only two in a wedding, not five. You understand? <laughs> only two in a marriage, not five. All right? Commandment number eight. Anybody tell me what commandment number eight is? Do not steal. In some countries, they cut your thumbs off when you steal. Huh? You got that? Commandment number nine, five in the air and one on the Bible. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Five in the air, one on the Bible. Thou shalt not lie. Commandment number 10, put them all out like this. Don't covet what your neighbor has, right? Don't covet, don't be greedy, don't go after it. Right, so you will probably never forget the Ten Commandments again in your life. Commandment number one, there is only one God. Commandment number two, have no idols before Him. Commandment number three, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Commandment number six, don't shoot anybody, okay? <laughs> Commandment number seven, don't commit adultery. Commandment number eight, don't steal or your thumbs will get cut off, all right? Right? Commandment number nine, five in the air, four on the Bible. Tell the truth. Don't lie. Commandment number 10, put your hands out. Don't covet other people's property. Okay? So we talked a little bit, a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit interactive today, right? And you should enjoy this. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm like yelling at you and stomping all over your toes. Today, this is more just a lesson. We're learning together. And we want to we walk our way through these, uh, through these commandments together over the next several weeks. So we understand, first of all today, a little bit of the structure that when we look at the Ten Commandments, they are broken into two portions for us. The first four of those have to do our relationship with the God of heaven. The last six of those have to do with the way that we love other people. People. And we remember that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now I've given you a tool. And so here's what I want you to do. All week, I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God, you're going to be on a plane somewhere. You're going to be driving down the road. If you're driving down the road, don't do like five, six, seven, and eight, okay? Uh, just, you got to keep hands on the wheels, all right? But I'm going to pray that when you're at work and when you're at home and when you lay down and when you wake up and when you're with your children, when you're with your friends, hmm... That really sounds like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, number 4. That when you awake and when you go to bed and when you rise and when you're at work, that you teach the commands of God to your people. So I'm going to pray that this week, those would come back to you and you would start thinking about the law of God. We, we live in a country, we live at a time where I feel like it's really necessary for us just to get those basic, and you might leave here today and say, Pastor Steve was preaching a children's sermon. Well, I want you to know there are lots and lots and lots of people in the world that even call themselves believers that could not just come here and say to you, these are the Ten Commandments. And these are ten basic laws of God that reveal His character to us and His goodness and His mercy and His grace. And so I want you to have those in your mind. And, and this week, 
Start to walk through those together and remind yourself there's only one God. I'm not to have an idol. I don't want to take God's name in vain or misuse God. I want to make sure that I remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. I want to make sure that I'm always honoring my father and my mother. And We'll talk about the deeper entrails of that where we're talking about those that are in authority. And I don't want to kill. And you remember in the New Testament, Jesus said, lest you make a legalism out of this. And Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart toward your brother, it's as if you've murdered him. Wow. You know why Jesus said that? Because there were a whole bunch of religious people that made more out of the law than they did the God of the law. And they felt like if they had everything done outwardly, but their heart was still wicked, that they were right with God. And, and Jesus comes along and says, listen, it's not just not shooting somebody. It's loving them instead of hating them. Right? And you're going to make sure that you're not going to commit adultery. And Jesus did the same thing. Jesus in that, I'm going to move these out of the way because I like to walk just a little bit. Jesus did the same thing on that commandment too. You see all of those Pharisees, they were saying, well, I've never committed adultery in my life. And Jesus looked all of those guys in the face and he said, yeah, but if you commit adultery or if you look on a woman to lust after her, it's pretty much the same thing as if you've already committed it. Oh my goodness, do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, the law that you thought that you were keeping correctly the whole time, it's really a lot grander and a lot more glorious and a lot harder than you could ever imagine. And what Jesus was trying to do is to get all of the religious people to say, whoa, Whoa, if I'm ever going to be able to keep that, it's not just a matter of doing it on the outside. Something's going to have to change in here to give me the capacity to do that from the inside out. And I'm not going to steal, right? And I'm not going to covet. So let me give you a third point. Look with me at the text. Let me, uh, let me just walk through this just a little bit. So, number one, the structure of the law. We discussed that. Number two, you now have some steps for memorizing the, the Ten Commandments. Number three, the law or the Ten Commandments is rooted in grace. Everybody say this with me. The commandments are rooted in grace. Can you say that? Let's try it one more time. The commandments are rooted in grace. Now, you remember I told you when we started this that the New City Catechism that we're using is wonderful. It's a tool. I love it. We're going to use it and keep using it. But it's not Scripture, okay? It's not, it's not perfect. It's not inerrant. And I think this week they made, if they could go back, they'd probably tweak it just a little bit because the verse that they used, they only used one verse, and it was Exodus 20, verse number 3. They started with the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. But brothers and sisters, look back down at the Bible there are two verses that come before you ever get to that one. Let me, let me read those for you. Then God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then we get to the law. Then we get to the commandments. Then we get to the imperative of what God wants us to do. But I want you to know today, before God ever demands anything of your life, He has already sovereignly provided your redemption, your salvation by His grace alone. Amen? Amen? 
And so it's not as if God just comes down and sets the commands on your life and says, just do this, as if you have to white-knuckle it, grit-teeth it, and get after it. No, God says, I'm going to come down to you. You're going to be in slavery. You're going to be in sin. You're going to be in bondage. And I'm going to do it you for you what you cannot do for yourself. I'm going to provide a sacrifice. I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. I'm going to open up the Red Sea. I'm going to bring you across. I'm going to close it back. I'm going to provide redemption for you. And then I'm going to say, this is who I am. Worship me. And not only am I going to do that, but the law, the very commands that I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to open up the heart that you have, take out that stony heart, put in the heart of Jesus, and make it so that you can actually do what I want you to do. Isn't that wonderful? Now, let me just show you a couple of things in the text. Uh, verse number one, then God spoke. Man, we could stop right there. I could preach for three hours, all right? Then God spoke. This is the word Yahweh here for God. It is the communal name. It is the plural name. It is this God of the people. It is God coming down to us and saying to you, I am speaking on behalf. I am speaking to you. You see, God had creation, all of the oceans, all of the land, all of the space. God speaks to us of his glory through creation, but God comes down and he says, you know what? I love you enough that I'm not only going to let you look out into the world to see me, I'm going to write something down so that you know my very nature. See, it's one thing for you to write your girlfriend an email or a text. It's another thing to sit down and write her a love letter. It's another thing for you to write down and give out the character and the nature and when you hold in your hand the word of the living God is nothing short than God's very word. I've met people sometimes that would say to me, man, if I could just hear God speak. I mean, if I could just, mm, if I could just hear God speak, I would be faithful to him all the days of my life. If he would just speak out of heaven. And what you don't understand is the very Bible that you hold in your hand is the voice of God and you won't read it. So why would you listen if he spoke out of heaven? It is God's Word. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is breathed out by Him word for word from Genesis to Revelation. There is no error. There is no contradiction. It is all right. It is all good. There is no God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. He is one God in three persons and one divine book, and it is all for our life. Mm, I better be careful. <laughs> Well, I guess from this week, I need to say this as well, too, for, for all of our people. What I want you to understand, too, is you do not have to unhitch your Christianity from the left side of your Bible, the Old Testament. Every word in the Old and New Testament is inspired and infallible and perfect, and it was not written for some historical people. It was written for you. Yeah. God spoke. Look what it says here. Then God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God. The word here for Lord, it is the authoritative sense. It is, I am the one that has the power and the strength. I am the one that can make all of these th things happen. And what does he say? I am the Lord your God. God is on our side. Who shall be against us? Who will come against us? The God of the Bible is on our side. Amen? Amen. God is on our side. All of this is rooted in grace. And then look what it says. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Oh, dear friends, 
the commandments of God that we'll go through in the next few weeks, we will give there that you're to have one God and no idols and not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain and to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy and, and, uh, and, and to honor your father and mother and not commit murder and not to commit adultery and not to steal, right? And not to, uh, what did I say number nine was? Oh, tell the truth, don't lie, right? And uh, number 10, not, not, to, uh, not to covet, we're going to get to all of those, but what I want you to understand is every one of those laws springs out of the grace of an almighty God who looked down in your desperate situation and saved you by His mercy. The Bible says this in the New Testament, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I don't ever want anybody to go out of here and think that you can be right with God or go to heaven when you die if you keep the Ten Commandments. If you try all of your life to keep the Ten Commandments, two things will happen. One, you will fail, and two, you'll go into eternal destruction. Why? Because God understands that He pulled us out of our slavery by His grace and His mercy, and He is the only one that can give us the capacity to keep the law of God. So if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be a Christian, don't try and be a better person. Let the law speak to your heart and say, wow, I can never keep that. I come short of God's glory every day. There's a verse in the New Testament like that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For if we believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, right? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us by His grace. And when He saves us, do you know what the law becomes? Do you know what the Ten Commandments become? They become a life of gratitude for God's grace and salvation. Now, some of you today, that just hits you a little differently than you've taken it before. You see, what God doesn't want you to do is to see not committing adultery, not watching pornography, not looking lustingly after commercials. God doesn't want you to see that as, as oh man, that's another weight on my shoulder. God doesn't want you to see that as a believer that, oh, I can never steal, I can never do this, I've always got to tell the truth, can't ever covet. God doesn't want you to see that as a believer, as a weight on your life. He wants you to see that as a response of gratitude for what He has brought you out of. Well, let me make another point. And uh, how to use the law? How, how do we use the law? How do we use the Ten Commandments? Let me give you three quick ways that, that uh, they have been used. This is not new to me. This, most of this comes out of the Reformation, but I think you'll find it helpful. So how do we use the law of God? How do we use the Ten Commandments? Well, in, in one sense, it is a civil restraint. You see, when societies or when cultures use this common law of the Ten Commandments, right? I have one God and, and no idols and uh, to honor God with our mouth and to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy and to honor father and mother and not to, uh, not to kill and uh, not to commit adultery and uh, not to steal and to always tell the truth and not to covet after other people's property. When culture does that, when a society does that, it provides a civil restraint so that we can actually have a decent society to live in. And do you know, 
I'm not going to get into it, to it with you today as to whether our country came from Christian roots or not. I, listen, there are a lot of lost people back there that started this country, okay? So I'm not going to get into all that. What I am going to say, though, is there has been a sense in our society in decades gone by, and even centuries gone by, where there was some conformity to these commandments. And it provided a sense of civility and restraint in our country. And the farther and farther and farther away from these that we get, you'll find the worse and the worse and the worse a society looks and acts. But the law has much more than just simple civil restraint. The law, secondly, reveals to us these two things, the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of human beings. The law of God reveals to us the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of human beings. And you can just simply see that, that when you read the law, you're reading the character of God. You're reading what He looks like and what He acts like and what His inmost being is. God is always honest. God never covets, right? God never commits adultery. In fact, the same words used here later on in this passage to say that God is jealous over His people. God never commits adultery on us. It is us who commit adultery on God by having false idols in our lives. You, 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 you can't possibly mean I've committed adultery on God. Sure you have. Sure you have. You ever had anything in your life that was more important to you than God? Then you had a false idol and you committed adultery on Him. That's like, no, God's always the most important. Let me see your checkbook. God's the most important. Where do you spend most of your time? God is the most important. What do you think about the most? It reveals to us the righteousness of God Right? God doesn't have a father or a mother, but God is honorable. And even within the Trinity, there is this everlasting unity and honor between the three persons of the Trinity that is able to be modeled. And in fact, you see it modeled between Father and Son throughout the entire Bible and primarily in the New Testament. Well, of just a course. God keeps the Sabbath holy, for it was Him Himself in the creation that after He had worked and after He had uh, uh, created for six days that He said that we would have the Sabbath to keep it holy, to rest, not because God was tired and worn out, but because God was saying, look and worship at what I have done. God always honors His name. You see, to take the, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And if you think that means saying like the, forgive me, we're all the, like the GD word, if you think that's the only thing that has to do with taking the Lord's name in vain, just wait till we get that commandment. Now, the, when it says, whenever you read in the Bible something like, oh, here's a New Testament term, uh, the, there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved other than this, Jesus Christ. It, it doesn't mean that people are just simply saved by saying the name Jesus. 
It's a synonym, and what it means is whenever you see the name of, the name of God or the name of Christ, it not only means the person, but it means all the resources and all the capability that they bring to bear on any given situation. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus, not just simply to uh, adhere to His name, but we are calling into being all that Jesus Christ is and does to come into impact on that situation. He said, you shall, you shall baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? It's not just that we are saying these names mean a lot. We are saying all that these encompass, all of the resources, all of what it means to be God. You shouldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Here's what it means. When you are living under your own power without the help of God, you're using His name in vain. Now all the people in here like me that like to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and do your own thing, I'm going to make it, I'm just going gung-ho, and no matter how hard the situation, I can do it. The longer you live like that, the more you take God's name in vain. The humbler you are and the more you just come to Him and say, Lord, I want to work hard, I want to do everything that I'm supposed to do, but oh my goodness, if you don't help me, if you don't show up, if you don't change me, Whenever you're living on your resources and not His, you're using the Lord's name in vain. Yeah. It reveals to us God's righteousness. It also reveals to us our sinfulness. Let me move quickly. Listen, the law has a purpose. It's never, the law was never, the New Testament says this, the law of God, the commandments were never meant to save you. In fact, just the opposite. They were meant to condemn you. Right? That's what Jesus is getting at. These people are, these people are telling Jesus, I, uh, I keep the law, I, I keep the law. And what they mean is, I'm keeping it outwardly. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. And Jesus goes right to the heart and says, you have anger in your soul. You commit adultery in your soul. It's in the heart. The heart's wrong. You need a heart transplant. In fact, Jesus said this, if your eye offends thee, go ahead and pluck that out. If your foot offends thee, go ahead and cut it off. If your hand offends thee, go ahead and cut, cut, cut that off off as well too. Jesus wasn't playing games. Here's what Jesus was doing. He was taking to the natural and logical end the outward conformity to the law. If the law doesn't affect the heart but merely your outward action, then the best thing you can do if you are somebody who steals is cut your hands off and you won't do it. But do you realize what Jesus was saying is you could cut your hands off if you lust, right? Listen, if you're in here today and you're struggling with pornography, you're struggling with those kinds of things, even if you took your eyeballs and pulled them out of your head, Jesus is saying you still couldn't keep the law. One of my favorite characters from church history is Jerome. He wrote the uh, Latin Vulgate. He um, he, he loved the Bible so much, he traveled to Bethlehem and spent 20 years in Bethlehem uh, learning Hebrew so that he could translate the Old Testament. That's, pre that's pretty dedicated life, right? This guy, he, he went through a season in his life where he fasted so much to the point like it was hurt detrimental, hurting his body, tearing him alive. He was doing all of these kind of things, these, these you know, just hurting himself, uh, self-mutilation and fasting and spending all of these things with outward, doing these things outwardly that have a place at some point, but he's doing it outwardly to try and do what only God can do inwardly. 
And he got to the end and he, 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 was, he was hurting and sick at this point in his life. And he says, I've come to realize that even all of this outward devotion does not change my heart and mind. He said, I, I still lust in my mind. You see, and Jesus goes on and says that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, they point out to us just how bad we are. That, of course, we don't worship one God. Of course, we worship idols. We misuse the name of the Lord. We don't remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. We don't honor our fathers and mothers. We may not shoot anybody, but we hate people all the time. Look at the world around you. Do you think we would have this massive problems we have in this country and around the world if hate were taken out of the hearts of people? And adultery. Oh, I've not committed adultery. What about in your heart? I've not stolen. Have you? Hmm. I wonder if I steal from my son when I'm on my phone more than I should be. And my wife. Huh. It's got real in a hurry right there, didn't it? I tell the truth well. I tell the truth all the time. Are you serious? Aren't there times when it's not good to tell the truth? You can deal with that all you want. Tell the truth. Don't lie. Don't covet. Oh, I don't covet. You don't covet. No, I'm satisfied. But I have. Really? Really? Truth of the matter is, the book of James says, if you've broken one of them, you've broken all of them. We are guilty. The law says to us we're guilty. Romans chapter number 8. Let me leave you on a good note. <laughs> Romans 8, verse number 1. There is therefore right now, not tomorrow, not in heaven, right now. There is therefore now no condemnation. Did you just feel condemned a second ago? I hope that you did. <laughs> it's okay. We, the law is meant to bring us under. There is therefore right now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, not by its own self, but by our sinful flesh, He accomplished. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And I must pick this up next week, but I, I want to close this time together. Nobody put your Bibles away. No zipping. I don't want to hear your zipples. No zippers. Ready? Let's... Recently, I, I listened to a sermon, and the guy was, <laughs> I was coveting over his eloquence. <laughs> it was beautiful. The guy must have had some sort of photographic memory. He was quoting stuff from all over the place. It was fabulous. It was soul-stirring. It made me feel good on the inside. <laughs> But as he drew it to a close, I listened and listened and listened and listened. And I never heard what I'm about to tell you. And I feel like it was tragic. That God created a perfect world because He's perfect. And He put people into the world. And rather than trusting Him, they trusted themselves and obeyed themselves rather than God. And the Bible says that on the day that they did that, they surely died. They began to die. 
And that since that moment, every human being that's ever been born into the world has been born a sinful, fallen person that we lie and we cheat and we steal and we covet, we have anger and we're uh, dishonest. All of those commandments come waiting down upon us. We are sinful people. And let me, let me put the knife in just a little farther. The Bible says that we are the enemy of God. You say, I don't want to be the enemy of God, but you are. Our sinfulness is reprehensible and horrific to the holiness of God. And Jesus came into the world as God's Son. And in the end, He will bring all of the nations together. In the end, every sword will be beaten out into plowshares. In the end, there will be a river of water and the streams thereof will make glad the city of God. And every tribe and tongue and nation and kindred will eventually come together. But all of that is birthed out of one place, the cross of Calvary, where Jesus died a horrific and an awful and a brutal death, taking in into himself, all of the sins, all of the wickedness, all of the pain, all of the shame, all of the rightful guilt that everyone in this room and everyone in the world who would eventually believe on Christ, he took all of that into himself and died a sinner's death and was raised on the third day so that every man, woman, and boy, and girl who would have their heart torn open by God and believe on Jesus Christ, turning from their sin, putting all of their confidence in Christ, may have eternal life. I tell you on the authority of God's Word today, if you have never done that, you are hopelessly, hopelessly lost. And it does not matter how much the world comes together if in the end your heart has not been made whole by Jesus. You say, Pastor, what do, what do I do when we start to pray in a minute, right where you are, you don't have to have the best words. You don't have to know everything. But if God is working on your heart, why don't you pray to Him quietly and say, I want to give you my life. I have sinned. I have failed. I have sinned against you. And I need Jesus and His grace. And He'll save you. To my brothers and sisters that are in this room that have made that decision, I hope this week You'll play out the law and the commandments of God with your hands, but mostly in your heart. And to realize you can keep the law of God, not because of how good you are, but because of what Christ has done for you in here. Amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Why don't you just pray right where you are? Yeah. Just take a moment. Maybe this week's been hard for you, long for you. Just take a second and pray. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, just call to Him in your own heart. Lord Jesus, come and save me. I give my life over to You. You make that decision today. Talk to me afterward. We will walk with you on how to keep the law of God. You're in the right place. We're going to do it week after week. But it begins by accepting the grace of Jesus. Ah, to my brothers and sisters. Why don't you talk to God right where you are? You know somewhere in the sermon today, I hit a chord. I know because I'm one of you and I hit the chords in my life this week. Find the area. Give that over to Him. Confess it. Forsake it. 
Receive His grace. And let's leave here today living right in holy lives. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.